Welcome to the ENA Podcast. This is the ENA Podcast, and I'm Dan Campana, the Director of Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association, welcoming you to our latest episode. And today, uh, we're, we're talking firearm safety and some, uh, some really exciting stuff that's coming out very soon uh, in terms of the firearm safety realm. And today with us, we have uh, Dr. Lisa Wolf, the uh, Director of Emergency Nursing Research from ENA, and Dr. Emmy Betts, Associate Professor from the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. And she's also the Director of the Firearm Injury Prevention Initiative. So let's welcome uh, Lisa and Emmy to the ENA podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So um, just in general, we've uh, got a number of things that are coming out relating to firearm safety. And uh, today's podcast, uh, really to talk a little bit about uh, a grant that has helped put together, has helped uh, development of a lot of materials relating to firearm safety. But the podcast is also a kickoff to what we've called the Firearm Safety Conversation Series, which will be available uh, on the ENA website. And we're talking about firearm safety in the context of uh, pediatrics and adolescents, intimate partner violence, adult and geriatric patients, and today we'll talk a little bit about lethal means and a- access to lethal means. So, uh, Lisa, with that little bit of context, I know you've been working, uh, you and Emmy have been working a lot on this. Can you just talk and start off a little bit, talk about the, the grant itself and how we got to this point with the conversation series, but all the other uh, materials that have been developed? Sure. Um, so this is a grant uh, that was given to uh, that we got from the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, and there's recognition that the assessment for uh, firearm safety and access to lethal means is really uneven across settings and um, uh, across practice uh, groups. So um, we did a study. Uh, that was published about a year ago that uh, looked explicitly at how emergency nurses assessed for uh, firearm safety and access to lethal means um, during the ED visit. And what we found was that the vast majority of emergency nurses were, uh, were not asking, saw no reason to ask, and there are a variety of reasons for that. Um, but a, a prime one is that there's a lack of comfort uh, in having that conversation, I know the AMA has put out um, similar educational uh, material around ha- for physicians how to have that conversation. So, uh, so what we were t- uh, charged with doing as a function of this grant was to um, create sort of a, a general webinar looking at the the process in the emergency department about accessing. Uh, assessing for lethal means and um, asking patients about firearm safety across different patient groups, right? So the conversation is different with um, uh, parents of a child who comes into the emergency department. It's different with adolescents. It's different with people who come in with behavioral health complaints like depression and suicidality. Um, And uh, also other high-risk groups are geriatric patients and patients who present to the emergency department either as a primary reason or as a secondary reason um, for domestic violence or intimate partner violence. So the presence or absence of access to lethal means in those populations makes a really big difference in the, uh, the risk assessment for those patients and therefore how you would intervene or pull resources in for them. So we have this overall webinar And then we have a series of these podcasts where we're looking at 
population-specific considerations. So this is where we're looking at patients who present with intimate partner violence or pediatric patients, adolescents, uh, geriatric patients. Um, and then there is also going to be a, a series of three phase-specific educational modules. So we'll talk about what is the management of this risk assessment at the triage phase, at the treatment phase while the patient's in the emergency department, and then finally discharge phase-specific um, education, and most importantly, I think, communication back to the community. So back to the pediatric practice, to the primary care, to the uh, behavioral health provider, right? So how do we take what we have learned and assessed in the emergency department setting and help our patients by closing the loop with their community-based providers? Um, and that's sort of the scope of what we're looking at. So, Emmy, from your perspective, as somebody who is a professor of, you know, uh, talking about emergency medicine in, in your, you know, in that practice, but also director of the Firearm Injury Prevention Initiative. I mean, injury prevention and emergency medicine certainly go hand in hand in a lot of ways. Uh, talk a little bit about, from your perspective, the importance of really looking deeper into firearm safety um, from these different angles that Lisa just talked about, uh, both the clinical side, but also sort of the holistic view of, of the prevention of these injuries in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an ER doctor, you know, in a busy level one trauma center. And so first I would say as a clinician, um, as nurses, as physicians, as other providers working in emergency departments, we're really busy. And I, I want to make it clear that the goal of this work around um, uh, firearm safety, firearm injury prevention um, is not universal screening. This is not suggesting that, you know, you have these lengthy conversations um, with every single patient, you know, people who are there for ankle sprains or, or sort of other things that, that probably have nothing to do with firearms. Um, at the same time, though, I think anybody who works in an ER recognizes that we um, have the privilege, I think, really, of intersecting with um, patients who are in very, very vulnerable states. And maybe that's that they're going through some kind of mental health crisis, you know, a divorce or worsening substance abuse. Maybe they're involved in um, domestic violence. We certainly see patients on the uh, very young end of the spectrum and old end of the spectrum in terms of age. And so we do have an opportunity um, to uh, help, I think, um, you know, help ensure safety even when someone leaves the department. Um, and so I think, you know, much of my perspective is as a, as a practicing clinician and, and really recognizing the constraints of what we can and can't do. And um, I think it's wonderful that ENA is developing materials with, within that sort of construct of, of not asking nurses to take on things that are just totally unreasonable in their current scope of work. Um, so the, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I was yeah. going to say a great segue there, but go ahead and finish your thought. Yeah. So then I was going to say, though, the second piece that really informs what I do, I think anyone who works in the ER also understands how important it is that we connect with people where they're at and that we are there to help and to heal, uh, to give hope, um, but not to dictate to people how they live their lives. And so I, I hope that um, people listening to this and the other parts of uh, this program recognize this is not about gun control. It is not about confiscation. It is not about judging people for why they own guns or, or why they don't. Um, but it is about um, providing um, counseling around safer storage or uh, safer access when someone's at risk. And I'll just, I'll, uh, you know, the, in the 
in the firearm injury prevention initiative that I lead that's really coming from a space of collaboration and communication and listening, working closely with the firearms community, both retailers and owners and instructors um, to, to, to really honor our shared goal of health and security and um, respecting diversity of views uh, and, and finding, you know, basically finding, helping people find the solutions that work for their family. The last thing I'll, I'll just say is, you know, we're talking about firearm safety. Um, I, to, to firearm owners, that really means things like, you know, keeping your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot and so forth. Um, we use that term loosely here when we're talking about um, uh, preventing firearm injuries in the context of, of a situation that maybe, maybe those, um, the safety rules have changed a little bit. So somebody who's usually a safe user maybe isn't right now. Um, so I just point that out that, that to anybody who's listening who's like, firearm safety, what are you talking about? Safety rules. Um, you know, we're really talking about who has access to weapons um, and, and maybe should they not have access at least for a little while. So that, uh, that is a great segue in, in talking just generally about the idea of access to lethal means and really, Lisa, how this connects to emergency nurses because of that role uh, at the, the front door of the hospital and you've got people who are coming in in various circumstances and, and you alluded to some of those situations earlier. Um, talk a little bit about the idea of what your, you know, the study, the re more recent study talked about not enough screening questions and not you know, asking those types of things, but how that ties into the reality of some of the challenges that an ED nurse faces when it comes to knowing what to ask, how to ask it, and also not being fearful of asking because of things such as their own personal safety or the fear of getting into what is a political conversation or judgments or anything like that. It does get real complex real fast, doesn't it? Well, it can. Um, I think if you look at the assessment as anything more than a safety assessment, right? So you're absolutely right. Our study did find that uh, one of the, the big barriers for nurses to, to ask, um, even in the case of someone who had been involved in an assault, someone who um, uh, presented with depression, um, in, in, in situations where like really clearly knowing whether there was a firearm in the vicinity, you know, sort of the metaphorical vicinity would be very useful information. Um, the, so personal safety was, was a very kind of a surprising finding in, in that study. Um, but I think the more um, useful finding uh, is that people are hesitant, I think both physicians and nurses, but definitely the nurses are hesitant to ask questions um, when they have no resources, if, the, if they get a positive answer, right? So um, some of our uh, respondents in, in the study talked about um, how, it, especially in the case of like intimate partner violence, right? They felt like the burden of having information that they had no way of changing the level of risk for those patients was almost too much for them, right? So they talked about um, I don't ask uh, if, a, if a person shows up uh, and there's obviously uh, intimate partner violence uh, as part of the situation. Um, I don't even ask about firearms because I can't know that. And then because I know that this person will show up in my emergency department again, but this time they may very well be dead because, um, you know, you can't stop people from doing what they're going to do. And I think that's a really good point that Dr. Betts made. It, it, a lot of this conversation is around providing education, offering people resources, um, but 
doing that in the spirit of we want everybody to be safe in this environment. So what, there's, a, there's a question that popped into my mind as, as Lisa was talking. Uh, Dr. Betts, when you think about the holistic view of this, there's a lot of nuance depending on geography and um, you know, uh, you know, sort of the the, the uh, some cultural differences that may exist in terms of how guns are viewed. If you uh, grew up in one type of community versus another, how do how does this education or how does this material do you think how does this come together in a way that shows that? Um, you know, there are some holistic ways to look at this, but there's also a way to account for uh, some of the nuance that may happen if you are in a rural versus an urban setting, or you're in some of these other different uh, types of scenarios that may um, have different levels of, accept of acceptance of firearms or a willingness to understand, um, you know, as you pointed out earlier, the difference between firearm safety in the technical sense versus firearm safety in the injury prevention sense. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I I would maybe distill it down, you know, the way I often suggest people think about this when they start is to not get too hung up on the words and not get too hung up actually on, you know, what what is firearm safety, what does that definition mean and so forth. In that at the end of the day, I think a lot of this is about not being a jerk with your patients. I mean, really, like we we talk about a lot of sensitive things. We talk to people about sexual practices, substance use, um, uh, you know, various different religious views and, and practices, you know, and things like blood transfusions and so forth. And I think in medicine, we, and by medicine, you know, medicine and training, and I think that in emergency department care, we are really trained to be respectful of patients, to engage with them, to respect their views. And of course we don't know everything. I mean, uh, there are all kinds of practices I have no idea about. And sometimes I just have to acknowledge that and say, um, you know, tell me more about what that means for you at home. You tell me more about how you store your guns at home. What kinds of things might you be open to? How can we help you today? Um, so I think if you approach it from that perspective of it's okay to not know everything, you are there with a good intent. Um, you are not talking about, you know, confiscation, but you're really trying to help them be as safe as possible at home when, you know, somebody might be going through a tough time. I think that can go a long way. I, I have not had any patients ever react really negatively to me. And I, you know, I think some of that at least has to do with the fact that I always introduce it by saying, whenever I'm worried about someone in a similar situation, I want to talk about home safety you know, tell me, do you have any weapons at home? How are they stored? It, it, that kind of thing that I think if you come at it from a from a standpoint of trying to connect, it can go a long way. And then yes, if you want to, you can dive into understanding the nuances of uh, your local laws and what that means for transfers and store. And you can, you know, it can get complicated in a really kind of fascinating way. But um, for people who are just starting out, I think know that there are multiple studies showing that patients are okay with this when it's appropriate to the context. Um, so when it's because someone is at increased risk of injury to themselves or others, um, and they're okay with it when it's done in a way that is respectful. So Lisa, kind of bouncing off that point a little bit. Um, so how does, how does this all kind of factor in when you maybe are dealing with um, areas that maybe gun violence um, is, is a more prominent thing in a more urban area versus maybe a rural setting where um, it's part of how you uh, navigate life on a farm or 
you know, you, hunting is more of a common practice. Um, you know, that's where, you know, it seems like there's another level of nuance about the prominence of firearms um, just wherever you're located at. How does that play into helping educate in that holistic sense in, in your mindset, especially as it relates to ED nurses? Well, I, I think I think Dr. Betz's point that you approach this in a respectful way um, with concern for safety, right? And, and I think that's really the most important part of it, right? In the same way, like what, what the participants in our study really talked about was like, we have to normalize this question, right? It can't be seen as some kind of entree into confiscation, right? Or, or uh, so in other words, you need to um, either say, you know, like, you know, we ask this question of everybody, you know, who comes in with young children, right? How do you okay. store the firearms in your house? Like, do you need a gun lock? Do you, um, you know, is there something that we can provide you in terms of education? Um, you know, same thing with, with adolescents, you know, you know, adolescents are really impulsive and you've brought your child in today because you're concerned for their mental health. And so we're going to just to, to make sure everybody's safe at home, we're going to ask you some questions and see if we can help you with this part of it. Right. Cause I think some people, especially, um, who, uh, who have firearms in their homes as kind of a routine part of their life. Some of them, I mean, and, and having spoken to and about lots of people about this, some of them are, are very rigorous. You know, they hunt and so they keep their, their hunting rifles locked up in a safe and it just, they don't appear, you know, unless hunting is happening. Um, other people keep firearms for safety and that's a different um, perspective that you have to, um, to, to talk to them. And, and because you don't know where that falls, where your patient falls on that, I think just approaching it as a very open-ended question um, becomes critical to the discussion. Dr. Betts, one of the other things when, when you think about injury prevention in uh, the overall view, not just with firearms, but um, is the idea of connecting with other resources within the community from a firearm injury prevention standpoint, how important is it for um, an ED and the people who work in ED to have community resources uh, in this? Or is this really only something that can happen in one place at one time and going out into the community resources and social services and things like that, that's not as relevant? Or how does it all come together in your mind about how um, from an ED nurse or physician standpoint, working within the community um, you know, to offer additional resources, how important is that? Great question. So I'm always an advocate for more connections between healthcare systems and EDs and the, the communities around them. Um, I think in this context, it's particularly important for certain subgroups. So in particular, um, youth or young adults who are engaged in interpersonal violence, gang violence, urban violence, and so forth. So linking them ideally with um, uh, violence intervention programs or other community-based programs that really get at the underlying risk factors, I think that's critically important because in those subgroups, it's not about locking up your gun at home. It's about understanding, you know, why youth is engaged in violence and how we can break that cycle. I think similarly, say with domestic violence, right, it's really, it can be critical to make sure that, um, that uh, those involved are getting the other resources they need. Um, of course, with, you know, with suicide prevention as well, it, critically, they need to be um, linked up with other mental health resources, um, although those may not be as focused on the mean safety piece of it. Um, I think more broadly speaking, though, there's so 
there's lots of really exciting work. I, I think it's exciting, at least exciting work going on, <laughs> featuring collaborations between the firearms community and um, various injury prevention groups. So there's a, a big program from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is the trade association for the firearm industry, where they've developed materials for adults and actually now for parents of adolescents about suicide prevention and why it's important to lock up weapons when someone is at risk. And I think that messaging is critical because it's coming from the firearms community. And so understandably, it's just gonna be more credible for, um, for some people. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is, you know, certainly as we think about uh, what the counseling is, if you're telling someone to, to think about locking up a weapon or temporarily remove it from the home, um, you know, it's great if you can give them concrete suggestions. So uh, maybe that's a, a lock, uh, you know, as Lisa mentioned, but maybe it's also, hey, this gun store down the street will store weapons temporarily for $10 a day. And, and you can tell them that, you know, we sent you Th those kinds of partnerships. That's where I'd love to see things go in the next in the next years. And that's kind of in the vein of what uh, Lisa mentioned earlier about the normalization of these types of conversation and normalization of some of this information being shared. Is that is that a fair a fair thought there? Is this for me? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a follow up um, there. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, let's, pause. let's let's pause. I'll re-ask the question. So um, to to piggyback off of what Lisa said earlier about normalization. So it sounds like normalizing the conversation, normalizing having some of this information available. That's uh, that's a fair thought for anybody working in an ED to have available to them if they're doing it on a more regular basis to make those references to. Uh, safety or making reference to those questions that, that Lisa mentioned earlier. So uh, that's something that um, would benefit everybody in the long term is if these things were uh, part of a normal, you know, when these conversations come up about firearm safety, just normalizing it seems like it would be a, it help things move in, in a positive direction. A hundred percent. I think there's a big interest in the suicide mean safety world in, in how do we get this to be kind of like the friends don't let friends drive drunk campaign and, and that, you know, the messaging across kind of every level, every setting of just understanding that there are times when you or someone you care about maybe shouldn't have access to firearms and, um, and, and making that a normal thing to talk about and then um, to take action on, that it's not a permanent thing, but that it's kind of this roller coaster of life and whether it's age or cognitive function or a, a situation that you're going through that, um, there are times when we should be looking out for each other um, and make, and and really, you know, um, again, renewing our our joint focus on uh, on safety. So uh, to wrap up, I've got a sort of a round robin question for both of you, and I, I, we like to do this on the podcast to really kind of wrap up with a couple of, of quick takeaways and with everything that's coming together uh, as part of this grant, uh, I'll start with you, Lisa. What, uh, what are a couple of things that you're, uh, you wanna highlight or you're excited about as takeaways that uh, somebody who is gonna partake in those, the webinar or, re, or listen to the, uh, the conversation series, what are some things that uh, you really hope that they take away from or they can look forward to taking away from once they start to dig into the materials? Um, I, think it's, I think it's really important and exciting that we are starting to integrate the recognition of this type of safety assessment into our ED care because so many people, we meet so many people uh, when they're in a really rough place in their lives anyway. Um, so I think giving people the 
information they need and sort of the, the framework with which to have the conversation is going to prove um, really beneficial for emergency nurses incorporating this into their practice. Dr. Bett, same question for you. Uh, what, what are you excited about in terms of takeaways that uh, people who partake in the information as this uh, is available, um, that they can take away from it and, and they can, what, what can they learn from it, I guess? What are the highlights for you? You know, I, I would say, so ED nurses already play such a critical role in healing patients and in, in pa helping patients find hope on really bad days. And I think that um, the, the tools here are gonna allow them to really extend those skills. Um, there's, there's so much that we can do with even, I think, brief interactions. And um, I hope that these tools really give, uh, make people feel a little bit more comfortable jumping in. Well, uh, Dr. Lisa Wolf and Dr. Emmy Betts, thank you for being a part of the ENA podcast today. Talk a little bit about uh, access to lethal means, firearm safety, and uh, what will be a, a, a lot of great information that's coming soon to the ENA website from the conversation series, uh, the webinar, and some other materials focusing on these issues. So we appreciate you being a part of the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. As a reminder, you can find the Firearm Injury Prevention Program materials by visiting ena.org education. That'll do it for this episode. As always, we thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us next time on the ENA podcast.